Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. Our late show, 1010XL 92.5 FM. Are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be? 10 o'clock to midnight on a Tuesday than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark. And we are certainly glad you are with us. We got a ton to do until midnight tonight. We got a little college ball, a little NFL ball and a little high school ball. We're going to hit them all tonight over the next two hours. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in about 20 minutes or so, Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com. We are 27 days away from NFL free agency. To give that a little context, I'm a numbers guy. You probably know that by now if you've listened to me. The Jacksonville Jaguars season ended 24 days ago. Free agency is in 27 days. We are almost to the middle point from when the Jaguars season came to an end to when free agency arrives. It's going to get here quick. So we're going to talk with Brad from Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com, Brad Spielberger, and he's going to give you a blueprint. Salary structure, what can be done to get under the cap, Who could get released? How can you re-sign Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, and Arden Key? We'll do all that with the Pro Football Focus. is Brad Spielberger coming up in about 20 minutes. In about 40 minutes, boy, the middle of February, you would think there wouldn't be a ton of college football news, but let's examine the last seven days. Mike Norvell gets a contract extension in Tallahassee. Texas and Oklahoma because of a $100 million buyout, are going to join the Southeastern Conference in 2024 and not have to wait till 2025. And today, the Georgia Bulldogs lose offensive coordinator Todd Munkin to the Baltimore Ravens, but they replace him with former Georgia quarterback Mike Bobo. So there's a ton going on in the world of college football. We'll touch upon it all. With my man, Brent Beard, you see him on First Coast News. You also get him here weekly on Hacker After Dark. And in the 11 o'clock hour, it is the high school spotlight. Brand new head coach of my alma mater, the Wolfson Wolfpack. Jermaine Wilson's going to join us to talk about his job at Wolfson, talk about his job that he was at, Mandarin's defensive coordinator, during their state championship run a few years ago. So Jermaine Wilson, the brand new head coach, of the Wolfson Wolfpack. We'll also go to St. John's County, talk to Mike Kolakowski of Tekoi Creek. 43 years in the coaching profession, the last two to get that Tekoi Creek program off the ground, but Coach K is calling it a career, announcing his retirement last week. So we'll talk with Mike Kolakowski of Tekoi Creek on the high school spotlight tonight. And as the coaching carousel begins to wind down, here locally on the high school gridiron, Justin Barney of Channel 4 will stop by as he normally does for the high school spotlight. So as you can tell, we got a lot to do. 
We're glad you're with us on a Tuesday here on Hacker After Dark. As we do every night, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. It is a big deal. A very, very happy birthday. I believe 59 years young today to Jacksonville Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke. I put on Twitter earlier, if you're a Jaguar fan, which I assume most of you listening are, what do you get Trent Baalke for his birthday today? Do you get him a thank you card for last season? Or do you get him an I'm sorry card apologizing for throwing that man under the bus? You probably deserve to give him both. Trent Balky, 59 years today. Happy birthday. What a job he did to help rebuild this Jaguar roster. What a job he has done taking over for the abysmal job the absolutely horrendous job that his predecessors, Shaq Harris, Gene Smith, and Dave Caldwell did. Trent Baalke is by far and away the best general manager the Jacksonville Jaguars have had this century, and it's not even close. And amidst all the backlash, all the venom, all the just downright awfulness spewed at him by Jaguar fans in 2021, Trent Baalke put his head down, went to work, and completely turned over this roster and turned back-to-back number one picks in the draft, meaning the worst rosters in football, into a division champion, along with, obviously, Doug Peterson. And now the Jaguars, have you seen these power rankings that are coming out? ESPN.com, Pro Football Network, all Sports Illustrated, the way too early 2023 NFL power rankings. I can't find one that doesn't have the Jaguars in the top 10. Not one. There are a ton of expectations. So Trent Baalke proved everybody wrong. He thrived amidst you, the Jaguar fan, dressing up as clowns, you, the Jaguar fan, destroying him on social media, and you, the Jaguar fan, desperately wanting him gone about 13 months ago. And don't deny it, because you did. It's okay to be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. But like I've told you, you guys point out when I'm wrong. I'm now pointing out when you're wrong. And you were wrong, most of you, in your thoughts about Trent Balky. But we've moved past that. Now, for Trent Baalke, he's got 27 days to make some pretty interesting decisions. They go, they being the Jaguars, are going from the hunter to the hunted. They're not going to sneak up on anyone anymore. They're not the lowly Jaguars anymore. They're not the team that others may overlook anymore. And if you look at that schedule, and we've talked about that schedule next year, good heavens, man. 
games against Cincinnati, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, San Francisco, Buffalo, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Go on down the line. It is a brutal, brutal schedule for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Will Jawan Taylor be part of it? Will Evan Ingram be part of it? Will Arden Key be part of it? What can the Jaguars do to improve their roster here in free agency? They're going to have to be... Denmark, are you old enough to remember the blue light special? No idea what that is. Yeah. It my was bad. It was towards the tail end of my childhood, and I'm way older than you. The so blue that, light special was at a store that used to be called Kmart, Denmark. Oh, I'm old enough to remember Kmart You now. do remember yeah, Kmart. Yeah, that was right, on Normandy Boulevard way yeah. back when. I had one over in Mandarin. It's just an abandoned building now on San Jose Boulevard. Been told they're going to put a shopping center in there for years. It's just sitting there doing nothing. My Kmart is a storage unit. Well, there you go. But the blue light special was just what it sounds like. Discounted prices, right? Instead of the Jaguars shopping at Macy's or, you know, wherever, Marshall's, they're going to be shopping at the Dollar General. But you can find some good deals at stores like that in free agency. I brought up one last night. They're going to have to replace Dan Arnold. I don't think Dan Arnold's coming back. So go out and bring in an Austin Hooper. Hayden Hurst, a, a Jacksonville resident from the Bulls school is available. They're not going to command gigantic money. Those are the type of guys you're going to have to sign. You're not going to see the big splash for the Jaguars on day one or day two or day three of free agency. They're going to have to be bargain shoppers. But this offseason, to me, is about filling gaps. Last year, you were trying to cover up huge, gigantic holes in this roster. And you did with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Brandon Sheriff and Foye Lewican, Foley Fadakasi, Darius Williams, Evan Ingram, on down the line. Gigantic holes that Trent Baalke covered. And those players thrived. This year, it's about filling in the smaller gaps. Getting another interior defensive lineman that can be part of the rotation getting better special teams play on linebacker, maybe another safety, something uh, to improve the secondary at corner. Again, you're not going to have the big splashes by Trent Baalke. He did that unbelievably well last year. But can he this offseason fill in the smaller gaps? That's the goal for the Jaguars. That's going to be the free agency beginning in 27 days for the Jaguars. They're going to be bargain shopping. They're not going to be throwing wads of cash like nobody's business like they did a year ago. No, 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 no. Now it's all about clipping coupons out and finding the best deal with the limited resources that you're going to have. Other news in the world of the NFL today in the AFC South The Indianapolis Colts finally, on February the 14th, have their coach. Shane Steichen, the former offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles, 
Welcome to the AFC South. So D'Amico Ryan's in Houston, Shane Steichen in Indianapolis to join Mike Vrabel at Tennessee and, of course, Doug Peterson here in Jacksonville. Indianapolis needs a lot of work, a lot of work. But how about Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts today? Did you see that press conference? Jim Ursay talking about, yeah, we need a young quarterback, and I got to tell you, that kid from Alabama looks pretty good. Well, great, Jim. Yeah. I mean, we probably knew that anyway. Who knows if Bryce Young falls there? And maybe Jim Ursay is playing the game, right? Playing mind games with the Texans or playing mind games with anybody else that thinks they need to trade up to take Bryce Young. This is an odd thing to say at an introductory press conference, how good the, quote, kid from Alabama looks. Other NFL news today coming out in the last couple of hours. It is official. After nine years with the Raiders organization, Derek Carr officially released. The Raiders save upwards of $29 million against the cap by releasing Derek Carr. So Derek Carr is a free agent. He is free to sign anywhere he wants. He's already visited New Orleans. There's legitimate talk that Carolina could have interest, legitimate talk that the New York football Jets could have interest. I would think a team like Tampa Bay could have interest. You look at the quarterback crop this offseason, depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers and depending on what happens with Lamar Jackson, you're not going to have a better option than Derek Carr. The guy's a multi-time pro bowler. The guy's been very durable. You could do a lot worse than Derek Carr. So if you need a quarterback, whether you're in New Orleans or Carolina, like we said, Tampa, the Jets, whomever, I would think Derek Carr is going to garner a lot of interest. And I would think Derek Carr is going to take his time. Why sign in the next couple of days? Get courted. Get recruited, if you will. Take visits. Relive your college years. So Derek Carr, the first big domino post-Super Bowl as he is officially released today by the Las Vegas Raiders. There's a lot to get into with the offseason again. We're inside of four weeks, still free agency. The combine is before that as the NFL offseason really will pick up here over the next couple of days and weeks. With that, Brad Spielberger, pro football focus and overthecap.com. Let's lay out a blueprint for the Jaguars. This is what Brad does. He is a salary cap analyst for one of the biggest pro football websites out there. He studies the numbers, studies the decimal points, and in his case, studies the dollar signs. What does Jacksonville need to do to get under the cap? What do they need to do to be able to re-sign Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, Arden Key? Who do they need to restructure? What did Trent Baalke mean earlier this offseason saying cash is more important than the salary cap? We'll get into all that with Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. That's next, a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. 
Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, the Super Bowl is on the horizon. And after that, all eyes will look towards free agency Monday, March the 13th. The Jaguars have a lot of questions and not a lot of time to answer them. About five weeks or so away from some serious decisions being made here in Duval County. With that, Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus and Over the Cap com. It's what he does, man. He knows the salary cap, and we love having him on here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brad, it's been a while, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. How you doing? Hey, Brad, we're good. Always appreciate the time. And, look, you're a busy man 365 days of the year, but about a month out from free agency, that certainly gets amped up for you a little bit. Uh, the Jaguars a year ago had, to me, what might be one of the great free agent halls in franchise history – Brad, just a quick review, man. The free agents the Jaguars brought in a year ago and your thoughts on how those guys performed. Yeah, you know, they obviously are, are, are consistently big spenders and there have, of course, been some unfortunate misses in years past. And I think last year was a great year to bring in some foundational core pieces. Even some of the guys that didn't work out right out of the gate, like a Darius Williams, for example, you finally put him back to outside cornerback where he's more comfortable. And I think you see him play what you expected when you signed him. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the moves that got panned, obviously Christian Kirk has been this big narrative, but also Zay Jones's deal, you know, got criticized as well. And he had a big year and kind of took that step that many people obviously in Jacksonville thought he could. So, you know, and then the smaller deals, obviously the one-year flyer for Evan Ingram looks great. Arden Key, I think it was one that I know I loved and shouted out as a phenomenal signing in the moment, not just now in hindsight that they had a great season. But, yeah, it was a really, really good haul for them and, and changes, you know, the trajectory of this team going forward. You know, they spent a lot of money last year, and conventional thinking is you spend a ton of money one year, you're not going to be able to spend a ton of money the next year. And I agree with that, although Trent Baalke has been praised, Brad, and I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, this is what you do. He's been praised for how he structured a lot of these contracts. It was big money on the surface, but when you dig a little deeper into Christian Kirk, Brandon Sheriff, some of these deals – it's not maybe as bad as some would have indicated, you know, when it happened a year ago. So what they did is they didn't do a ton of front loading with these massive signing bonuses. And so why that matters now when you're talking about maybe spending again, and I do think maybe it's not as big as last year where they set the record, you know, for the most total guarantees and most first year cash ever given to external free agents. But what he did was you can still restructure some of these deals and not to go do too deep in the cap weeds, but essentially you can push more cap down the line to enable yourself to spend more um, on players this offseason. So, yeah, he didn't give these massive signing bonuses that will, you know, hinder their ability to move money around even more. Um, and, and so they can go ahead and do that on their top guys that they believe will be around for the future. Because, look, the trend across the NFL the last couple years is when you have that quarterback going into the third year of his rookie contract, which, of course, is the case for Trevor Lawrence, that has often been the big, big spending window. We saw with the Chargers, the Giants, the Cardinals. You go back years, and every team kind of capitalized on that last rookie year deal before the fifth-year option. So I think the Jaguars will spend a little bit and see if they can make an even deeper playoff push with Trevor Lawrence. Brad Spielberger here with us, PFF and OverTheCap.com on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Brad, before we start talking about the players, I do want to ask you about Trent Baalke. Uh, guy got a bad rap in San Francisco. He, quite frankly, had a pretty bad rap here 
up until about Thanksgiving when the Jaguars decided to become one of the best teams in the NFL. As a guy that has uh, watched Trent Baalke from afar, I'm sure you studied general managers maybe a little more than most with what you do with the salary cap. Just an overall thought from you, Brad, on Trent Baalke and the job he's done here in Jacksonville. Yeah, like you said, it's been a bit of a complete 180 from last season with the uh, the clown <laughs> dress up and all that stuff. I mean, look, I think he was hit or miss in San Francisco. There were some good players they brought aboard. I think they were maybe too predicated on talent and ignoring everything else, um, which is, you know, a, a thing that some teams do and often get away with. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl right now, and they've often, you know, taken some risks on really talented players and ignored other things. And sometimes it bites them, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I also would say that, you know, we know that him and Jim Harbaugh were not the best of friends, and I think we underestimate how much coaches have to do, even with the players you bring in in the draft, the players you bring in free agency. So, look, I think he's probably an average GM. I think that we need to see more of a body of work in Jacksonville, where now I do think Doug Peterson probably lets him, to a degree, or maybe more so than Jim Harbaugh, let him do his business. Um, but I'll say this: Look, when we mocked those deals from last year. I talked to agents and player and teams around the NFL. They called it the Jaguars tax. And it was basically, you got to pay more to convince my guy to go to Jacksonville. I'll tell you, with Trevor Lawrence looking like he did this year, that tax is gone, or it should be. Um, and I think that also just fundamentally changes what they're capable of doing in building out this roster. I think that's a fantastic point. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, and OverTheCap.com. All right, Brad, $32 million is the number that we're hearing the Jaguars are projected over the cap. Free agency begins Monday, March 13th. I'll start at the very basic. Shaq Griffin, I think you would save $13 million by cutting him. I mean, that that's a no-brainer, correct? I probably would agree with you there, yeah. And and, and the Shaq Griffin thing, look, uh, you take a chance on a guy, a corner from Seattle, it didn't work out, but, you know, you, you can get out of it two years after the deal. Again, that was – constructed pretty well in my opinion by Trent Baalke yeah no did not hinder yourself you signed him at the same market as a lot of the other guys in that corner class in free agency it was Will Jackson who obviously you know got cut by the the commanders this year so didn't even finish his deal there um and that was the market it was around 13 million dollars that they were in the market I thought that was actually going to be a nice signing I thought he was a good player and a good fit in this defense but yeah you know sometimes it doesn't work out all right so Shaq Griffin's gone 13 million of that 32 comes off. Now you're roughly 19 million over the cap. Now you got to start making some decisions. As you said, contracts can be restructured. We'll get to that in a moment. The two guys that I thought were no-brainers that they might get released, but then all of a sudden they became two of the Jaguars' best defensive players down the stretch were Roy Robertson Harris and Rayshon Jenkins. I think combined you could save almost 13 million dollars in cutting those guys, Brad, but at this point, I think both guys might be too valuable. What's your thought there? It's funny. You let me right there. I, I, I thought Jenkins, no question. Um, I thought that was a, a rich deal when it first happened, and then I you know, thought he kind of was playing at the level of the contract he should have gotten, not the one he did get. But, yeah, then he has these, these game-changing, you know, season-defining plays. You maybe don't want to buy too much into, right? You want to look at the full body of work and, and break down every snap and not – convince yourself that you have to keep a guy just because of some splash plays but he clearly means a lot and, and it had some foundational moments so for him I think it's probably still maybe more of a question um, because I think you can find replacement safety play um, for maybe less than he's honestly going to get paid next year at eight and a half million dollars um, you can find that there are a lot of safeties always available in free agency for me Roy Robertson Harris 
I'm a Bears guy. So I saw him grow up and develop in the Chicago system, and I think he always had more untapped potential transitioning from you know a, an outside linebacker to adding weight and going to the DN and now kind of playing on the inside. I think you got to keep him. He, he was disruptive um, and, and a problem for opposing offenses. But then secondly, the inverse of the, of the safety market, there's just not a lot of interior defensive line talent available. Um, and so I think he is now on his price tag, you know, a good value to keep on that roster. I wouldn't even be surprised if they maybe add a couple of years and extend him at this point. Um, so that's kind of how I see those two playing out. Another guy, and it's going to be a tough decision. Look, it's a, it's a business. It's tough decisions. Jaguar fans won't like some of this stuff if it happens. But Jamal Agnew, I think, is going to get paid $5 million next year, roughly. And you would save that against the cap if you release him with the arrival of Calvin Ridley. I mean, how does Jamal Agnew factor into the offense as great as he is on special teams? Brad, could you see that as a potential savings if they were to let Jamal Agnew go? And so this is now where, and I know this is frustrating to hear, you know, when you're you're a fan of an organization, you can't choose which organization you root for. And I don't know if we're here yet, but for me, you look at a team, if he was on, you know, the Bills, whatever, they would approach him for a pay cut, and I think he would take it, right? Like, I think players would want to stay in a stable, good environment with a good coaching staff, with a good locker room, all those things. Maybe we are there now. Maybe the, maybe Jacksonville is getting to that point where, say, hey, look, you're probably not going to get, you know, broken off in free agency on some big deal. Um, you know, maybe, we're, you know, it's too much money at $4.75 million. Let's cut that in half, add some incentives and whatnot, and you can earn that money back. Um, so maybe you try that approach with him. Um, but, you know, th- those are kind of the things that now you hope to be able to do in a building where players want to come to. A couple of more for Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com. Always love the salary cap conversation here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, the Jaguars have 13 unrestricted free agents. I won't get into all of them, certainly. There's three big ones. We'll begin on Arden Key. You mentioned him earlier, Brad. He did a one-year, quote, prove-it deal, and I think he did prove it. Uh, Arden Key, the Jaguar salary cap situation, how likely, how feasible would it be for the Jaguars to be able to keep him? I think they definitely can, and I think they should. I think his inside-outside pass rush flexibility, you know, kicking him on the inside on on obvious passing situations and third downs, it just adds an element to this defensive line um, and this pass rush unit where now if you have development from Trayvon Walker, you obviously have Josh Allen, a stud on this team already, um, and and it it just enables you to do more. He's had his back-to-back best seasons in the NFL by a decent margin. I still think there's room for some growth, but I also don't think he's going to break the bank because, to me, I I don't see him becoming some 800, 900-snap guy. Like, he's going to be your 500-snap, you know, use him in certain situations, let him be fresh, and kind of, you know, get after the quarterback when it's most convenient. So, I think it's entirely possible. I think I have him projected around eight to ten million dollars per year. Nothing crazy, um, and, and they do have a lot of flexibility here. Um, I, I think he is a priority resign for them, no question. Before we get into Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor, Brad, speak to that flexibility. I mean, I think on paper, Christian Kirk counts thirty million dollars against the cap right now. That will not be the case on March thirteenth, correct? Right. You restructure his deal, but it's a simple restructure. You clear $11 million in cap space. And, and how many, I mean, Brandon Sheriff, I mean, a lot of the guys that they signed last year, that's what they're going to do. So that $32 million that they're over the cap right now, based on what you're saying, that's going to evaporate relatively quickly. Yeah, so, you know, if you do the same thing with Cam Robinson, you clear about 7.7, 6.5 for Brandon Sheriff, 6.5 for Foye Lukun. So right there, we just found $20 million more. And again, you don't want to always do this in perpetuity and always be pushing cap down the line, but all of these guys, 
their their salaries are already fully guaranteed for next year. So, hey, that's a big part of it is that, look, we're, we're paying this guy this money regardless. We're not kicking cap down the line on a non-guaranteed salary. Um, you know, yeah, that, that's what they're going to do, and, and they should do it with a handful of these players. All right, Brad, the two big ones that have gotten all the talk here in Jacksonville. We'll begin with Evan Ingram. Again, another prove-it deal, and my gracious, did he prove it his best year as a pro. I think a lot of that, quite frankly, had to do with the offense and Doug Peterson, and I think Evan Ingram – has to realize what Doug Peterson and, and means with the tight ends in his offense. So you wonder how much that plays into his decision. But he's going to get some money, a 28-year-old tight end that did what he did this year. How feasible is it for the Jaguars to keep Evan Ingram? Yes, yeah, so the thing here is that the market at tight end is just still so suppressed, where if he had that type of year at you know wide receiver, let's just say you know comparable to what he did, you map it over to a position that is getting paid you know like crazy as opposed to a position that is kind of artificially capped by George Kittle's fifteen million per year deal right now. Um, you know, I haven't projected around three years, thirteen million per year, somewhere in that range, um, which is entirely feasible. I mean, that's a, that's a number two receiver in the NFL these days. That, that's Curtis Samuel and the Washington Commanders, just kind of a random name, you know, came to mind. Like, you can pay that, right? I think you can find a way to do that. If he wants to, you know, totally break the bank and go, you know, way in the, in the upper echelon of tight end compensation, maybe you say, hey, well, we'll look elsewhere. But I agree with you. I think he's going to realize, look, I just had the best season of my career in large part because of the way I was deployed. I'm not lining up in line and doing things that are not, you know, conducive to my skill set. Like the New York Giants used me. Doug Peterson's getting me the ball quickly on quick outs and and just doing things to make, to let me work in space, use my athleticism, all those things. So I think they'll find a way there as well. I think he would be smart to stay, and I do think he's a big piece of this Jaguars offense. You know, they don't have a ton at tight end if they do let him go. Final moments, Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, and OverTheCap.com. Probably the biggest one's Jawan Taylor because of his age. He's coming off his best year. Brad, right tackles that have started every game in their four-year career, they get paid on the open market. There is no question about that. What can Jacksonville do, if anything, to keep Jawan Taylor? This one I think is maybe the most fascinating because, I mean, we saw what Walker Little can be. Um, you know, he's a really, really good young player, can play on both sides of the line, has at times. I mean, you take him with an early second-round pick, you know, betting on a guy who missed his, his last year of college and had some injuries, but a prospect that when he did play, you know, I know our draft analyst Mike Renner thought, hey, if this guy was healthy and played the whole way through, he's a top-10 pick. Like, that's the talent he is. He just fell for other reasons. So that makes it very, very interesting to me. Like you said, Taylor had his best year. We agree on all our metrics. He had his best year, was a really, really good pass protector, um, one of the best uh, tackles in the entire NFL at not allowing pressure. Um you know, I think it's going to get into the 14, 15, 16, maybe, you know, million per year conversation. You obviously just paid Cam Robinson. You know, maybe they do go franchise tag, but it's a big number, and, and you maybe don't want to go through that again like you just did. Um, that one's fascinating to me. I'm, I'm kind of giving, I guess, giving a cop out answer. They can find a way to get it done, but I wouldn't be shocked if maybe he squeaks out of there and they say, look, we have Cam Robinson and Walker Little. Um, you know, we, we feel comfortable there. We can save that money and spend it elsewhere. Um, but at the same time, he, he is looking like a really good young player. Not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like Arden Key, Evan Ingram, likely returns Jawan Taylor, maybe not so much. Would that be accurate? I would still put, you know, I'll say 55% chance he leaves, right? Like, I, I still think it's a very, very close call on Taylor. And, and Brad, final question. Uh, Trent Balky at his postseason press conference a couple of weeks ago said cash is what's important not the cap. What did he mean by that? 
Yeah, so look, you can always manipulate the salary cap. Again, you don't want to go crazy with it and put yourself in this deep, deep hole. But at the end of the day, what matters more is the cash budget that you have at your disposal and your owner's willingness to spend money. If they are saying, hey, I want to spend a bunch, I want to surround this this team and this young quarterback with talent, you can push those cap hits down the line like we talked about. And essentially, it's like a credit card, right? That's what I, that's what I like to say. It is you are pushing it down the line. The bill is going to come through eventually. But when you have Trevor Lawrence making, you know, nine million dollars a year and he's probably at this point worth 50 million dollars a year or getting into that conversation, um, you know, all of those savings, you know, you, you should spend around it. And, you know, we talk about the, the quarterbacks on the rookie contract in the Super Bowl this year again with Jalen Hurts. Only one Super Bowl the last decade in 2016 did not feature at least one quarterback on a rookie contract. So, yeah, what he's saying is. Look, if we want to contend next year, the cap is not going to be the reason why we don't. Um, maybe cash will, and we can't spend as much as we like from a cash perspective. But if we want to manipulate the salary cap, you know, we certainly can. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com. Brad, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville, I mean, I love what you guys do at PFF. If people want to read your work, what do you have coming out over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so the biggest thing is right up this wheelhouse. So I just released our top 100 free agents on PFF.com. Every single player has a, a write-up, their skill set, their, their, their you know scheme fit, team fit is coming soon, and then also their contract projection for all 100 players. If you want to see you know kind of maybe where their market is um, for, for every top free agent this offseason. Brad, we love it. Let's do it again, maybe on the eve of free agency. Can't thank you enough, my friend. We'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Again, thank you to Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, and OverTheCap.com. Look, I thought he laid out some interesting thoughts, particularly on the three big free agents. And, you know, that's what we've talked about for the most part over the last three and a half weeks since the Jaguar season came to an end. But we should start getting some clarity. You started seeing it today. The Super Bowl is over, right? The offseason is here for all 32 teams. Derek Carr, I guess the first big domino to fall of the offseason, officially released today with the Raiders. But now it's about re-signing guys. It's about releasing guys. It's about franchising guys in about a week and a half. You're going to start seeing more of this news coming out with the knowledge that as we sit here today, we're 27 days away from free agency on Monday, March the 13th. So we should start getting some clarity on the Jaguars' plan, on guys they're going to release, on contracts they're going to restructure, and on guys they hope to re-sign before the market does open on the 13th day of March. So that is the National Football League side of things. There's a ton going on in college football for the month of February. An extension for Mike Norvell in Tallahassee. Texas and Oklahoma come into the SEC a year early thanks to a $100 million buyout. And Todd Munkin today leaving Georgia to go back to the NFL to be the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens and Georgia promoting their former quarterback, Mike Bobo, to the OC spot. With that, let's talk about all of it with Brent Beard of First Coast News. You get him every week here on Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL. In 92.5 FM. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. 
Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The middle part of February has arrived. Believe it or not, the first spring football game officially out there in Honolulu, right? Hawaii, March 3rd, as they are already in spring ball. The Southeastern Conference spring practice begins next week with Missouri reporting their spring game is in the middle of March. With that, the college football world is always turning. And with that, we turn to Mr. Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News here locally, and he's always kind enough to join us weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing well. This is a side note, and I won't spend any time on it, but I just thought this was interesting. It tells you where these guys end up sometimes in the merry-go-round. Mike Loxley at Maryland has hired Kevin Sumlin as Maryland's new co not not single, but co-offensive coordinator. Uh, not sure who, who he'll share the role with, but, uh, uh, boy, after uh, Texas A&M, Houston, and Arizona, uh, you never quite know sometimes that uh, these guys are on top of the world one day, aren't they, Hack? In the net. And, again, look, I'm sure that's not bad money, but I think we both know – he was headed for bigger things than that. Yeah, no question. Don't forget someone's uh, big time there in the USFL uh, about a year, yeah. year or two ago. So yeah. he's certainly been making the rounds now at mm-hmm. the University of Maryland. Brent, it's been a busy week, man, particularly for the local teams here and the Southeastern Conference. Let's begin with Florida State. Last week, Mike Norvell, a contract extension through, what, the 2029 season. Yeah. Rewind the clock back 12 months. Not sure many people would have predicted that, but a well-deserved contract extension there in Tallahassee. He was on the hot seat going into the year, and then they were able to uh, uh, right the ship uh, and uh, now easily one of the uh, most uh, productive groups as far as bringing people back. They are number one in the country, Hank, uh, in returning production, 87%. They're one out of 133 Division One schools, which frankly is amazing, but Norvell uh, has earned what he has got now. He's the second highest paid coach in the ACC. I've got a, a friend that works at FSU in the athletic department. He just had to text me, Hank, and tell me that he's making 50000 more now than Mario Cristobal. Uh, yeah. So always always a little bit of shot there, right, somewhere. Uh, I mean, look, his record at 18 and 16 is not great, but the thing about it is, it, would it be safe to say now uh, with him he would be making $8 million a year as that gets closer to 2029? Uh, how many of us would have said – a year ago at this time, that FSU would be the most optimistic team in the state. Not many, and I'll tell you another thing, Brent. You're talking about Cristobal, throw Napier into the mix. I would imagine there's not a Florida State fan out there that would trade Mike Norvell for right. either Billy Napier right. or Mario Cristobal. And I imagine you ask Gator and Hurricane fans if you can trade your guy for Mike Norvell some people might say yes. So that's also a drastic change from where we were even six months ago. Sure. Well, and, and of course, 
I do think that um, the Florida situation will eventually get better. I still think he's he's a good hire and will come through with that. Uh, and, and a lot of people disagree with this, and, and that's fine. But I'm telling you, Miami has as big of a rebuilding job as Florida does. Uh, and, and frankly, I mean, uh, case in point, um, and people may not have heard some of this, but um, Jake Garcia, the quarterback, uh, has ended up now at uh, Missouri, which is very interesting. Uh, and they are looking for – now they have filled the, uh, the void – uh, as far as defensive coordinator uh, getting the Tulane defensive coordinator uh, to come aboard. Um, so that helped that. But they've still got several uh, positions to hire within the offense. And, heck, again, uh, they have got th- not one but three non-Saturday games uh, with – uh, Friday, September 1, Thursday, September 14th on a Thursday, uh, and then Miami at Boston College on Friday, November the 24th, and I'm sure that will be a little brisk up there at that point. So uh, certainly a lot of change with the, with the state of Florida teams. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him right here weekly on Hacker After Dark. Brent, the Southeastern Conference, where I come from, $100 million Boy, that's a lot of money. That'll buy you a lot of yep. things. And the SEC, that buys them Oklahoma and Texas a year mm-hmm. early. Brent, your opinion, people you've talked to around the conference, why was it so important for the SEC to bring OU and Texas in for the 24 season as opposed to waiting for the 25 season? Uh, it would have um, uh, been a problem with the expanded playoff for one. Uh, and now they're all in sync. Uh, the playoffs expanded 24. Texas OU will be in for 24. The interesting thing that's going to happen now is uh, how the league's going to decide. Do you stay with eight conference games? Do you go to nine? I really think they go to nine. That may not happen immediately, but I think that's going to happen. They're going to get rid of divisions. Um, so it will be only basically one big league at this point. The top two teams will end up going to Atlanta instead of what we had this year with LSU with multiple losses, playing an undefeated Georgia. Uh, but again, uh, the the thing that folks will take some adjustment for is when this begins, uh, week zero is going to be week one. And how about this? Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State is going to be the week before Thanksgiving not the week after Thanksgiving or the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Uh, that will be some real changes, won't it? Yeah, it will be, and I can't tell you that I'm going to like that. I mean, 39 years on this planet, about right. 33 of those, I actually remember <laughs> Florida, Florida yeah. State's the Saturday yeah. after Thanksgiving. Although, right. I, you know what, I say that, Brent, and talking through it, I thought the Friday night thing this past year was going to be awful. I didn't hate mm-hmm. that. So, so maybe it, it, I'm more open to change as I'm getting older. And listen, it worked out, frankly, well. Uh, they took advantage of it, which uh, I think was important. Uh, and heck, what that also means is, is the now what people are going to ask, well, what's happening with the Saturday after Thanksgiving? Well, that will be the SEC championship game. 
So uh, everything's moved up because the playoffs are expanded, and you've got time. You've got to have time to get them in. Brent, now what's interesting is they don't have a year to figure this out. They don't have 18 months. No. The schedule comes out like in October, right? right? So the, the league has eight months basically to figure out what they're doing. Are you still here in that pod system where you have three of the same opponents every year and you rotate the other five or six to where you'll go to every opposing stadium once every four years, kind of like they're doing in the Atlantic Coast Conference? Well, it depends on what day uh, you ask that question, but for now, they're still trying to figure that out. I, I, Sankey, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, uh, I don't think likes the word pod, so so he, he's going to try to come up with something else for that. But as you mentioned, if they go to nine games, it will be the three-six model, three permanent, six rotating. One-seven will be one permanent and seven rotating. Uh, if they do that now. The reason, if they go to nine, the advantage of that would be, here's a really good example of it, is Georgia has yet to play at Texas A&M. And the Gators have been out there three times. Oh, yes. The ironic thing about that is Georgia and A&M are scheduled to play in 2024. (laughs) That's pretty amusing in it, Hank. So, uh, but look, uh, and I like what Sankey says, if they can pull this off, is if you're a player in the SEC, by the time that your eligibility is up, you will have at least played, if not every team in the conference, the majority of the teams of the conference. It was like Bama coming to Florida a couple of years ago, and as you remember that, uh, that was the first time Bama had been there in 10 years. And, and, and uh, heck, if you're the SEC commissioner, uh, you don't want your better teams in the conference not to play each other, but what, once every 10 years? No, I, I totally, totally agree with that. Again, Brent Beard here with us. I want to get to Georgia, Brent, but but you've piqued my interest so quickly here. Do you think there'll be any, you know, kickback, backlash? I mean, look, Florida, if it's a one constant seven rotators, they're going to lose every rival except Georgia. If it's three mm-hmm. constants and six rotators, well, maybe you keep Tennessee, maybe you keep, I don't know, South Carolina, but the days of Florida playing LSU and Florida playing Kentucky and potentially Florida even playing Tennessee every year, those are about to go to the wayside. Will fans like that, or will that take them a while to get used to? It'll take a while, uh, but I do think when we get into the expanded playoffs that it will be worth it. Uh, But, but look, uh, we'll get into this more later, but my big question is, heck, if they go to nine, uh, can we still keep Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Florida, and Jacksonville? So, uh, and I'm, uh, look, uh, to me, uh, I think Jacksonville is going to put out an, a, an amazing amount of money in order to keep that game, uh, but uh, these, are, these are the questions that are fascinating that have yet to be decided. All right, Brent, big news today in the Southeastern Conference there at Athens with the Georgia Bulldogs is offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, who was a very big part of back-to-back national championships, is now on his way to the Baltimore Ravens, returning to the National Football League. Georgia obviously was ready for that, as they've already officially announced former Bulldog quarterback Mike Bobo is now the new OC there with Kirby Smart in Athens. Your reaction 
to Munkin leaving and Bobo coming in there to Georgia? Uh, first of all, Munkin did a really good job, uh, and but he has a lot of NFL ties, interviewed with Tampa uh, also. Uh, so he's going back. I think the uh, the thing that he was able to do with Georgia was how they utilized the tight ends. Uh, and they, I mean, and these guys are monsters. They can catch the ball. So um, kudos to uh, Munkin for what he was able to do. Now, the other thing with this is, Munkin was really trusted by Kirby Smart. That had a lot to do with what happened with Munkin. And I think the hiring of Mike Bobo had a lot to do with that, too. Bobo was on the team as an analyst and obviously knows everyone. So now he gets that OC job. And he will have much better players than he did when he was the OC with Mark Rick. But, but heck, you and I have worked together for, for basically decades now, and you remember this like I do, when, when uh, uh, Mike Mobile was at the end of his tenure at Georgia, do you remember like I, like I do, they wanted to absolutely run him out on a rail. They, they thought he was the worst offensive coordinator in the nation, uh, and were, were deliriously happy to get rid of him. Uh, I will be very curious how that welcome mat will be out for Mike Bobo, his o- OC again. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, although he kind of gets to, um, you know, feel his way back in as they play yep. three directional schools and Georgia yes. Tech in the non conference. Look, Georgia's the best team in the country. And far be it for me to say anything negative about them. And I understand, I believe it was Oklahoma this year that came off their schedule and they had to find a replacement quickly. Georgia's schedule's a joke. I mean, I looked at it last night. It's a joke. They're going to be 20-point favorites in nine of their 12 games. It's it's unbelievable how bad their schedule is. Yeah, uh, I agree with that totally. And, and look, the only only time Georgia is really going to have any competition – Hopefully with Florida, uh, they do go to Auburn, uh, and, and they've got Tennessee too. Uh, but the reality is, uh, I, and they'll get the the Mulligan. You certainly will get it after you won two national championships. But there's a real chance, Hack, they won't be tested until they get to the SEC championship game in the playoffs. Yeah, but it'll be interesting, and you're right about that. But a new quarterback, now a new offensive coordinator. Yep. Times are changing at Georgia. We'll see if they any are. team in the East has uh, made up any significant ground there on the dogs. Brent Beard, Brent, leave us with this. About 90 seconds to go. Uh, as far as Florida goes, look, they're cleaning up in the class of 2024. I had the yep. opportunity to talk with DJ Lagway last week on Hacker After Dark. Unbelievably impressive young man. This is the analogy I used. The night is darkest just before the dawn. I get a feeling 2023, Brent, might be pretty dark for the Gators. They're going to lose. You look at that schedule, they could very easily lose six or seven games. Sure. If Napier survives that, and look, there's already ESPN.com articles out saying keep your eye on a potential hot seat with Napier. I don't agree with that, but we know how Gator fans are. If Napier survives another subpar year, this 2024 class could be the dawn of something if they keep it together. Yeah, oh, I agree totally. I, uh, look, uh, I think they may do well to be uh, 
seven and five or six and six, uh, frankly, again. Now, uh, one thing to keep in mind is uh, Kim Rising, the Utah quarterback, who is coming back toward his ACL in the Rose Bowl. Now, he has uh, had surgery in January. Uh, they think that he can be ready for uh, next season. Uh, and this guy can play. Now, Florida really was able to take advantage of them in the opener. This time it, it's on the road at Utah. Uh, but that that is one early thing to keep your eye on, Hack, is how functional will Cam Rising be by September. Brent Beard, to get him on First Coast News. You also hear him right here on Hacker After Dark. If you want any, uh, any Hawaii spring football updates, Brent Beard is your man. They're the first <laughs> Division One team, Brent, in the spring drills with the spring right. game there on March 3rd. And I have no doubt if that thing's on TV somewhere, Mr. Brent Beard will be watching. Brent, always appreciate it, brother. Know you're busy. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Good. Always enjoy it, pal. Take care. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on the high school spotlight, 1010XL 92.5 FM. We are glad you are with us. If you've listened to me over the years, you know how much I love my alma mater. They're on Powers Avenue, the Wolfson Wolfpack. They have a brand new head football coach at Wolfson High School. His name is Jermaine Wilson, and he's kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, how we doing? I'm great. I'm great. Excited to be doing this interview. Hey, Coach, congratulations, man, on Wolfson. I know you uh, spent time at Mandarin as a defensive coordinator. You're uh, very familiar with the area. Now you get the opportunity there at Wolfson. Uh, talk about the process, Coach. What led you to the Powers Avenue? Okay, like you said, it's the opportunity that I was looking for. Um, I was looking for a school that was small in enrollment so I can be a great part of the actual atmosphere. Um, when I saw it became open, I um, called the AP, sent emails, and so I can get my name on the list because I felt that this is just the right fit. You know, Wolfson, Coach, and you know this, you're obviously from around these parts. You've been coaching for the last few years here. Uh, they, those kids have had a lot of a lot of coaches in that building. That school's gone through a lot with the change in enrollment and the change in classification and everything but I've said for a while and I think you saw it last year there's talent at Wolfson High School that football team started doing something last year so clearly there is things there for you to work with there's a foundation already in place oh yes there is um it, it's, a, it's a great foundation that's left by the coaches um so one of the things that I had to do when I was coming in was not really convince the adults about hiring me as a program is actually convincing the kids that I'm actually going to be here. That I'm actually going to set a foundation. I'm going to watch it grow and they are going to be a part of it. Um, they start buying in from the first day I met them and it's nothing but great things going on from here. Jermaine Wilson, the brand new head coach at Wolfson high school coach. I mentioned Bobby Ramsey and Mandarin. You were a part of Bobby's staff there on the defensive side of the ball. What did uh, you take away from coach Ramsey? Uh, he's very excited that you have this opportunity and speaking with him. What has Coach Ramsey meant to you? Because Ramsey's meant a lot. Uh, he allowed me to, a guy who didn't really know uh, know much of, um, I met with him, spoke to him, and, and once we became familiar with each other, he allowed me to do what he knew I was there for, 
which is um, take the defense to another level. Um, you see, he laid the building blocks for me to be successful on my side of the ball, which eventually led to me spreading out to try to do more things on the football team. So not, you know, come to my chance to become a head coach. Those are some of the foundational things that I'm going to use. I'm going to allow my coaches to actually coach, um, knowing that they understand the foundation and what I'm actually looking for. And those are the things that he showed me once I was hired. Head coach Jermaine Wilson of the Wolfs and Wolfpack here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville on the high school spotlight. Coach, give us uh, some of your past. Uh, you know, where are you from? Where did you play ball? We know you coached at Mandarin. What other stops have you made along the way? Okay, so um, my first coaching stop, well, I graduated from Livingstone College, a small HBCU in North Carolina, um, where I played football for a couple of years and ran track. Um, once I graduated, if I, I went back to my alma mater, Goose Creek High School. I served a year as a volunteer which I never missed a practice. I came to every practice, so I was building my foundation there. Um, then I moved to Florida, Avon Park High School, which is a school that was similar in size, which gave me the feel that made me think that Wolfson is the place for me. Um, I was the defensive back coach for a year, and I took over the defensive coordinator role. Um, then I moved to Haggerty High School, which is just behind UCF, um, where I was assistant for a year. Then I became the defensive coordinator for, um, for two seasons, which led me to come to Mandarin. Um, I was assistant coach for two years, then um, stepped away from it for a while. And then I decided that everything was right with my family. I had to make sure my wife was good with me coming back to coaching. And I came back. That's when I spoke to Coach Ramsey. And we talked about being the defensive coordinator. He allowed me to do that. And then we won the state championship in 2018. And we were just building the foundation um, even stronger from 2018 to my last year, 2021. Coach, it sounds like coaching is in your blood. When did you know that this is the direction you wanted your life to take? After I graduated from college. Um, I knew that, well, actually my last semester of college, I was um, an intern with the track team, and that's where it actually started. Um, coach Huff, Clifton Huff, was my track coach in college. He allowed me to come back because I had to do that extra semester. Um, he allowed me to come back and, and work with the track team, and once I saw that, you know, it's just a springboard from there. And it was just in me. Um, the years that I took off, it was burning me. I had to, you know, I had to be at the game. I had to be a part of the, the action. Um, so that's that's where it came from, just the desire to be better. Um, and seeing the end product with the kids, how they start off one way, they ended up a different way um, with more discipline and, and uh, feeling willing, not willing to accept failure. Um, those are the type of things that, that led me into into coaching. Final moments here with Jermaine Wilson, the brand-new head coach of Wolfson High School. <clears throat> coach, I see that you haven't been on the job long. You've already got the social media thing down. I saw a couple of interviews you did with, I believe, some of the students there at Wolfson. That's a big deal for a high school coach, right? With today's day and age and, and social media, you got to be active on there, and, and you're off to a good start in that department. Yes, you have to be. Um, and I saw that, you know, looking for the Wilson page, um, I saw some things before I was hired. And I know that the kids are over there working, so now we got to promote our product. And our product is the kids actually working so the coaches can see it. Um, it was a real pleasure having my first actual interview on TV with, with the kids at the school. Um, they were professional. They had some fun. We had some fun. And it was just a great atmosphere. I can't wait to see uh, what we have in store. 
Well, Coach, we're all excited. What's the process like now over the next couple of weeks leading into spring ball? Are you in the process of assembling a staff? What do you hope to accomplish here over the next month or so? Okay, over the next month, uh, we, we actually um, went through and started just cleaning up some areas um, uh, that, that needed to just a little uh, fixing up because I needed to be a certain way before I start bringing other people in. Um, the kids are taking leadership roles as as far as the cleaning and make sure things are in the same area where they're supposed to be. Um, my coaching staff's going to look, you know, people who want to put in the work. You know, you may not get the glory the first year, but once you see that foundation that we built in steel, you know, forged by fire, they're going to, um, everything's going to start taking off. We'll have more people coming in. Um, I have a bigger pool to choose from eventually. But right now, the people who I want to bring in are the ones who have something else to offer other than football. I'm looking for strong mentors. I'm looking for positive role models um, and things like that. So right now we're starting the weight program after school today. Uh, we're going to go two day, three days a week. And then as we get closer, we're going to start expanding, uh, going five days a week. Um, we're trying to change some body types in the weight room. So you see big bulky kids walking around. And then during the summer, we're going to uh, slowly um, – you know, stretch them and get them into that long, lean muscle group. But right now, we got to change the body types. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish right now. Jermaine Wilson, the head coach of Wolfson High School. Coach, I'm class of 2002. I know all about the Wolf Den. I loved my time out there. We actually made the playoffs my junior year in 2001. So it certainly can be done out of Wolfson High School. Best of luck, and we'll be talking to you a lot this upcoming season. Okay, thank you for the interview. Ow. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. And thank you to Jermaine Wilson, the brand new head coach at Wolfson High School, for joining us tonight here on the High School Spotlight on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. From one coach beginning his head coaching tenure to another coach that appears to be leaving his head coaching tenure is Mike Kolakowski, one of our favorites, Coach K at Decoy Creek has announced his retirement. He did it last week, and Coach K is always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, how we doing? I'm doing very good. How about yourself, Ryan? Coach, we're good. Thank you for the time. And, and truthfully, this kind of caught me off guard a little bit, I'll <laughs> be honest. Uh, you know, when we went out there for Hackers High School football tour last year, so many good things are going on at Decoy Creek. Everything seemed to be going in the right direction not that it won't now but I'll be honest it did kind of catch me off guard a little bit what went into your your decision to call it a career last week well uh, I always give myself I don't care what's you know during when you're coaching I give myself till after Christmas all right so and then if, if you come back after Christmas and you're fired up and you're ready to roll moving for the next year because that's when the season starts in, in theory I just didn't get that I just didn't get that feeling you know it was kind of like okay this is there's something that I I just is I, I can't give myself you know a hundred percent you know to the program and I talked to my wife and and, and I've been doing this you know, Ryan for 43 years 41 in college and then two in high school and it was just I just felt like it was time I kind of want to move on to my next chapter and you know God living uh, God allows me a long chapter I just want to be able to do some things that that and that I that I'd like to do golf fish go see my granddaughter so that was that's what all went into it yeah certainly understandable no question about that I mean it was two years at Decoy Creek but coach what you accomplished 
in those two years from working out with tree logs, which I think is still one of the greatest stories. Of <laughs> you Hackers always remember that. You'll remember that one all the time. Oh, that you? is just phenomenal in year number one to that beautiful weight room you guys have out there now. You had, what, 120 kids as right. part of the football program last year. I mean, clearly the arrow is pointing up there at Tacoy Creek. It is. And and as I talked to, to Jeff Holland, our AD, and, and I've – and I don't, I, I never say I, you know, but it's we, we, we have, I've left it in, in a good, good position. I feel good about it. The kids are, you know, the kids are working hard. I think there's this, I know there's a foundation set for the next person to, to come in and, and hopefully take this thing, get to that seventh, eighth, ninth win. I um, mean, there's a lot of positives and, and, but it's been done with a lot of hard work, you know, from my staff and myself and our coaches and the administration. So I feel good that I, that it, that, that where it's at when the next person walks in. How involved uh, will you be in the process to find a new head coach? I don't think, you know, Mr. Holland, you know, Mr. Jeff Holland's been an AD down at St. Augustine and in, the, and in here at Koy Kirk. He knows what he's doing. So uh, he might ask if I know somebody, but not, you know, I just, that's his call. And, and uh, all, uh, him and I have talked, all I want is what's best for our kids and that they're, they're, they're going to find somebody that's going to keep it, keep it going in the right direction, which, which Mr. Holland will do. Mike Kolakowski, uh, formerly the head coach of Tacoy Creek, now about to enjoy some retirement after 43 years on the sidelines. You mentioned that coach, 41 in college, the last two here in St. John's County. As you have taken time over the last few days, I'm sure, to reflect back, I mean, what a career, 43 years <laughs> in the game of football. Uh, congratulations. What sticks out to you the most? Well, I just I think you can uh, – it's, it's the players, the other coaches, the relationships you, that you have built – you know, I think I think that's that's for you know uh, top of my list. But I got to coach at some. I got to coach. I went and and coached it at versus Alabama, Auburn, Georgia Tech. I you know in my career at Penn State, at Florida. So I got to play. I got to coach in some really cool schools and great 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 venues. So I'll remember that. And then here, the high school getting our first win. You know, in, in two uh, three years ago is just that stands out so much and. Even last year, getting that sixth win, uh, this last past season, it was just—it was kind of a—it was—it was a big relief off of me. But I just—I just, I just wanted our football team just to get that sixth win. So that—that that was huge for for us and the staff and the players. But there's a lot of memories. But it's all about people. It's a people business, and I'll never forget our kids here and who and all the people that I've been in contact, you know, through my career. You know, it's one thing when you switch jobs in the, in the college game. College guys, they're no longer really kids. College men kind of expect that. You know, the high school game is a little different, obviously, younger generation. How how difficult was it to explain your decision to them last week? You know what? I, 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 was, I was probably more nervous telling them than they are. They're kids, you know, and they're resilient. And, they, you know, they understood. And, 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 and they move on. You know, it was... You know, but I was worried. I mean, that's me. It's just, how do I say this? What do I say to the kids? What do I got to do? But they did. A, they did a really good job. They all, you know, they all came up, thanked me, and hugged me, and all that kind of stuff. And and I told them I'm going to be around. I'm around February. I'm going to be around in March. So to you know, hopefully they'll get their new head coach in there, and I'm coaching the, the weightlifting team. So it's not like I, I left that next day. So I'm around, and and I told them I'm going to keep pushing their butts because you know we put I put a lot of hard work, and I'm not going to let things slip. You know, just because I decided I'm not going to be their head coach. 
Final moments here with Mike Kolakowski of Tekoi Creek. Coach, we don't know this yet, but I'm assuming after 43 years, have you thought about, you know, what happens in July when you you might start getting the itch a little bit? You know, my wife says six months. It might be four months, and she might be telling me to get out and go find another job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will be, you know, it, it, it will be, it'll be different, you know, and, and it took me, it took me a year, you know, to get out of the, uh, the college, the college uh, um, work ethic and, and what you do in the college weekly thing too. So I got that. I kind of, in the, in the foot in the high school allowed me to, to kind of pick that up. So now I'm going to kind of go cold Turkey. So it might be a little tougher. Coach, as we wrap up final question, what's next for you? You said your granddaughter, you want to, you know, golf, fish, enjoy all the, the fruits of retirement. Do you plan to stay local? I know you came from up north. Do you, do you plan on moving back up there? Have you given that no. much thought? Here's what, no, we're going to – we, we got my, – my wife has, has family in, in St. Simons Island. So uh, we've, we've got a house that we're fixing on up, and, and that's where we're going to go. So I'll be close, and I'll be – like I told the kids, I'll come down to the ball game. No, I loved – I loved, you know, Jacksonville area, St. John's, and, and now my wife has her sister up in, in, in Brunswick area. So it's kind of worked out well. I'm not going to go back to Ohio. It's too cold. So I just uh, – it's – I love the weather here. So we're good. Coach K, Mike Kolakowski. Coach, always appreciate the time. The last two years, whenever we called, you were always gracious enough to come on. I certainly appreciate it. Enjoy retirement, my friend, and I have no I doubt will. that you and I will be talking again sometime soon. Thank you very much, and I'm very appreciative for everything that you've done you know, with our school and coming out and learn, getting to meet our kids because I think it's, as you know, as you know, there's some great kids over there. Back here on the High School Spotlight, 1010XL and 92. Point five FM in the city of Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. Boy, the high school football coaching carousel has been spinning pretty good for the last two, two and a half months. It is finally starting to calm down a little bit. Most of the jobs in the area have been filled. And let's look back on the carousel and the new coaches in new places. Let's do that with Justin Barney of Channel 4. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Justin, it feels like a while since we've done this, man. Hope all's been well with you. Yeah, it's been a busy uh, busy stretch. You know, kind of blinked and into the season uh, was here and blink again. And now it's uh, we're, we're gearing up for spring football here soon. And as coaches' vacancies fill uh, fill up and we're down to just a few of those in the area. But, heck, man, it, uh, it flies by. Football season is a blur and then you blink and uh, it almost feels like it's football season again. Yeah, there's no question about that. All right, you've done this for a long time. Uh, to me, maybe not the number of jobs that came open, although I think that number's pretty big, to be honest, but the quality of jobs that came open. You look at this coaching carousel, boy, Justin, there's going to be a lot of, I guess, unfamiliarity with the fans, with all these coaches in different spots. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an active off season, and uh, as you mentioned, it's it's been a. I believe we have twelve openings that uh, that uh, that came about, twelve positions that were filled after the season. And you know, when you look at the the numbers in our area, I mean, we've got more than sixty schools, and you got a dozen of those changing head coaches. So um, it seems like more of a more of an active off season than uh, than traditionally. But really, the, the the schools that are filling these positions are what's really more of the the story to me. I mean, you've got the big school in Bartram Trail. That was the big domino that fell with Daryl Sutherland leaving after uh, a long, long time there. The only coach that Bartram 
has had. That school opened in 2000. Uh, he's replaced by Corey Johns. And then schools like Fleming Island changing from Damien Springs, who'd been a, a foundational piece over there, bedrock during some uh, transitional times and uh, really saw that program to, to consistency and, and success. And uh, Damien Springs replaced by Chad Parker. And then schools like Oakleaf, uh, getting a guy like Christopher Foy, who worked wonders at Jackson, who also coached at Fletcher. Um, so some some big programs changing uh, changing names and at the at the big position. So I think those big schools that are making the moves, um, the non traditional schools making the moves, um, the schools that that you've seen consistency in. Um, I think that's been the bigger storyline this offseason than the actual number of coaches. Justin Barney of Channel Four here with us on Ten Ten XL in Jacksonville. Justin, maybe it's a coincidence, but you look at some of the bigger public schools in our area. This year, like you said, you throw Fleming Island, Bartram Trail, Oakleaf, Atlantic Coast as a new head coach as well, Step Durham, who comes over from Wolfson. You go back a couple of years where Mandarin changed, Fletcher changed. Again, maybe it's a coincidence, but that's a lot of turnover for the big schools in our area in the last 24 months. Yeah, it has, and I do think that that's a um, you know product of, of a couple of things. I think you you've got high standards at some of these programs, and you change you know change coaches to get some new blood in there and, and infuse it with some uh, you know some some excitement, and you know maybe some of those positions got a little bit stagnant, or the guys in charge you know saw the saw the the greener pastures was not in coaching, you know, and and I think the um, but I think at the the underlying you know, change of, of a lot of these coaching positions is the the demands on these these men are just extreme for a second job. I mean, this is this is not a position that's a that's a full time job like a college football head coach or coaches in Georgia. Um, you know, these are these are guys who are in these jobs as second jobs. I mean, part time jobs essentially. And there's such a drain on your time and uh, your resources and time with family and stuff. So I do think it's a it's a um, opportunity for for people to you know weigh these uh, professions and you know see how your time is, is divvied up and split out and uh, I think some of these guys just say hey I need to spend some family time I need to recharge I need to decide if this is what I want to do long term so you can't blame those guys for doing it I mean coaching pay uh, just pitiful in the state of Florida across the board so um, I think a lot of these guys the the Daryl Sutherlands of the world you know the David Penlands the Verlin Dormanys the guys who have been doing this for quite some time, the Brian Braddocks, I think those uh, those days of those guys, those long-term coaches, are uh, are going to get uh, leaner and leaner by the years. It just uh, the profession is too draining, and I think you see that with a lot of this. Uh, uh, really, the the coaching carousel spinning more frequently than it has in in quite some time. Justin Barney of Channel Four. All right, Justin, we'll circle back to the big schools in a moment for an overview. Since the last time you and I talked. I mentioned Step Durham leaving my alma mater, Wolfson, to go to Atlantic Coast. Wolfson has turned around and hired Jermaine Wilson, the former defensive coordinator at Mandarin, who was on Bobby Ramsey's staff when they won a state championship back in 2018. Durham to Atlantic Coast, Jermaine Wilson to Wolfson. Boy, that's a tongue twister. I got to get used to that. What do you think about those two hires in particular? I like it. You know, I like what Step did it at Wolfson really can't be uh, overstated. He brought that program back to uh, respectability. And, and I point to how far that came in one season. Um, then week 11, when you play your biggest rival in Inglewood and you get blown out the previous year and then you come around in Step's year 
and you beat Inglewood in that finale to kind of uh, to kind of cap off your season. He didn't go to the playoffs, but a remarkable turnaround for Step Durham at Wolfson is one season there. You get to 500, you beat your rival, uh, biggest rival in the the season ender. Just a great turnaround there, and and to go back to his alma mater. Um, you know, I covered Step when he was in high school at Atlantic Coast. Was uh, arguably still is the biggest recruit in that program's history. Um, so that's just a natural move. And and I've said this before, but when I think when you can hire a guy that that players know, that the players' parents know, that still somewhat young and, and they can relate to, I think that's a great thing to do. And for Step to to land at Atlantic Coast, I think that's a home run hire. And for Jermaine, it's a chance to to go and build off what Step did and. You know, he's a defensive minded guy. Jermaine Wilson is won that state championship at Mandarin. And uh, I think it's a good hire for for him. This new blood, younger guy who can get in there and really kind of build off what that last coach and step did. And uh, I think those are two very, very good hires for Atlantic Coast and Wilson. Yeah, you mentioned Steph Durham. I remember Gunnar Cox from when he played at Uly, and I believe he then went to JU. And I talked to Gunnar a couple of weeks ago, who's now the brand new head coach at West Nassau. Justin, I don't know what you were doing when you were 28 years old, but I wasn't in charge of, you know, 50 high school football players at the age of 28. Uh, kudos to Gunnar Cox at that age for getting a head coaching job. What was your thought on that hire out there at West Nassau? Yeah, and again, another good one who who kind of fits that mold. He played at Yulee and, um, you know, stayed in the area and, and played at JU, and he's just a guy who relates well to that area and he's a guy that played in the Derrick Henry era of high school football and at Yuley and experienced success with the Hornets there they were a state semifinal team when he played there uh played for a spot in the state championship game uh that eventually went to bowls and a great game there played with Derrick Henry has stayed here has been an assistant coach has kind of cut his teeth coming up through that system so he is another guy again who knows the area well replaces Ricky Armstrong a West Nassau grad himself um, so they stay local, get that Nassau County guy, that tradition there. And again, it's similar to, to Steps Durham. You get a guy that players and their families probably know from from playing in Nassau County. And I think uh, a young coach, a coach that people can relate to and players can relate to uh, is a very good thing. And, uh, you know, his brother, I believe Waylon Cox will be coming over and helping him there from uh, from Hilliard. So um, you're bringing guys in there who know that county well. And I, I think it's great for programs to hire coaches who have attachments to that area, attachments to those communities. I do think that's a, a big positive. And, uh, and, and Gunnar Cox, Waylon Cox, both those guys, extreme attachments to Nassau County football. A couple of more for Justin Barney of Channel 4 here with us on the high school spotlight on Hacker After Dark. Justin, shame on me. Haven't spent enough time on Keystone Heights over the years but that'll change now because I'm very familiar with their brand-new head coach and Steve Reynolds, formerly of Oakleaf and Bradford, had the chance to talk to Coach Reynolds a couple of weeks ago as well. He seems awfully fired up. He's been out there for three years under Coach Dickinson. Now he gets his opportunity at Keystone Heights. What are your thoughts on that hire? Yeah, another another guy who you know, cut his kind of came up through that area. You know, he, he knows the Clay County, the – um, he, he was in Gainesville area with the Bradford situation. So um, you get a guy who knows that area well, um, coached at St. John's Country Day, coached at Oakleaf, coached at Bradford. He's been at Keystone for, for three seasons as an assistant and a coordinator. And again, you, you have continuity there. Chuck Dickinson was there. I mean, he's, he's another guy 
in that Daryl Sutherland mold had kind of uh, shaped that program during a, a two decade career there, more than two decades. And you kind of continue that consistency there by promoting from within. Steve's got head coaching experience. He knows that system well. It'd be interesting to see what offense they run as they change, maybe from, from the, more of that ground-based system to uh, maybe being a little bit more diversified. But yeah, Steve Reynolds is a guy, again, a, a younger coach and you know sub-50 years old who can um, who can get in there and, and maintain that tradition and put a new uh, new spin on that program as well. Again, Chuck had been there for quite some time, so not, never a bad thing for a, for a change of pace, maybe an infusion of some new thoughts and uh, viewpoints in that program, and I think Keystone will certainly benefit from Steve Reynolds' uh, experience there. Justin, the coaching carousel is indeed slowing down, although it got one last little jolt last week when we find out Coach K, Mike Kolakowski, out there at Tacoy Creek in St. John's County, is retiring after two years that two years at the school, 43 years of coaching overall, so a well-deserved retirement for Coach Mike Kolakowski. Um, but that Decoy Creek job, Justin, you know this, man. That's a good job. That's a really nice school. They had 120-plus players as part of their varsity and junior varsity program last year, a beautiful part of St. John's County. I would imagine there's quite a few guys that would like that opportunity out there with the Toros. Absolutely. And this is, you know, this is their first senior class this year. Um, again, anytime you're building in that fertile growth area of St. John's County, that program is, is just ascending that area of St. John's County, just booming out near World Golf Village. And whoever gets that job and is able to kind of get there is only going to going to trend upwards. You know, you look at Creekside, you look at Ponte Vedra, uh, the last two new schools coming to St. John's County before Beachside, Tacoy Creek, um, you just see those guys on the on the ascent. It doesn't take them long to get there. And you know, Coach Kolakowski had the Toros in that playoff conversation in just year two. And it'll be nice to see that rivalry with Beachside, uh, the new school that opened off of 210. Uh, just kind of grow and grow and grow. And I think that rivalry is going to continue just to be blockbuster and a well-deserved retirement to Coach Kolakowski. The guy has done it for many, many decades, mostly at the college level. Uh, he came to this program and, and built it up from the ground up. So great to see that uh, he's left it in, in very good hands. And uh, I think the next coach is set up very well for long-term success. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, as we begin to wrap up, the coaching positions that have been filled, not necessarily the best, but I'm curious. You're one or two, or if you want to give a handful, um, most interesting. That could mean whatever you think, whether you like them, whether you, you like the fit, you don't necessarily like the fit. What has stood out to you most about the positions that have already been filled? Yeah, I think um, I think I look at a position like Bartram Trail. That one probably surpri surprised me the most. Is you know when you when you have a coaching staff of that uh, length of time, a lot of those Bartram guys have been around for quite some time. You don't um, promote from within, or you go a different direction, hire a guy from out of the area. And Corey Johns is a, is a rising star in that uh, in that profession. So. That, to me, was a little bit of a surprise, just a name you didn't associate with that program. Um, I think with Chad Parker going to Fleming Island, that uh, maybe took the in-house candidates off of, uh, off of the table. Um, I think that's, a, that's an interesting hire. But I like the, I like the mix of, of guys. You know, Steph Durham 
getting his second job at his uh, at his alma mater. I like that. I like Jermaine Wilson. Uh, he wasn't coaching last year, and now he's back in the mix uh, coaching at Wilson. Um, you know, I think that's an interesting thing. I like the, the Gunner Cox hire at West Nassau, you know, a Nassau County kid kind of coming home to, uh, to, to reshape and build that program. So I think it's a, a good mix of the older names and a guy like Ben White, you know, who's had that assistant coaching experience before he's going down to, to build something at Menendez kind of returning home uh, to a program he knows well a little bit. So I like uh, it's a good mix of, of storylines, good mix of young, uh, younger coaches getting their first shot at, uh, at a head coaching role and also some guys who are still ascending in their career, like a Christopher Foy making that jump from the gateway conference over to Oak Leaf. So a lot of good storylines. And uh, I still think some, some ones that have not been filled are uh, set up for some pretty good things there too. Yeah, we love it. The Friday night lights will be back before we know it. As you said, spring football just on the horizon, Justin, leave us with this kind of a cool moment for a young lady down in St. John's County, Talia Scott, named a McDonald's All-American. She's been committed to the University of Arkansas for, golly, well over 18 months. She's stuck by that commitment and is rewarded uh, being a McDonald's All-American. Quite the honor there. Yeah, great for, for Talia, great for St. John's Country Day. And, again, to uh, for people who don't follow girls' basketball in the area, and you always hear McDonald's All-American, and that's such an honor. We've only had three girls in area history received that honor all have been from Rebalt, dorian williams uh erica white and renaya davis so for uh for for talia scott to get that honor she's a career 2000 point score was actually second in the country for a good bit of time uh, in scoring average this year and uh, the sky is the limit for her she signed with arkansas actually had a pig uh show up to the signing day her parents uh <laughs> weaved the weave the pig into the signing day moment so really good uh good family Excellent score, and I think she's going to thrive. The McDonald's All-American ceremony for her uh, coming up here soon, but just a, a great story down there in Clay County and St. John's Country Day for Talia Scott. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, appreciate the time. Know you're very busy, man. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Take care, Hack. Thanks for having me. There you go. Justin Barney of Channel 4 joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark on the high school spotlight. And, yeah, that'll do it. I mean, look, the bottom line is you had a lot of coaching openings you had some coaching jobs that were filled by very good candidates, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens when spring football starts and, of course, when the 2023 regular season starts in the middle to late part of August. That'll wrap it up for what's been a very busy Tuesday night edition, our late show on Hacker After Dark. We certainly thank you guys for staying up late with us tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank, including Justin Barney of Channel 4. Thank you to the brand-new head coach at my alma mater, at Wolfson, Jermaine Wilson, for joining us tonight. Enjoyed uh, my first conversation of what I hope to be many conversations with Coach Wilson. Thank you to Mike Kolakowski, retiring from Tacoy Creek after 43 years in coaching. The final two there in St. John's County with Tacoy Creek a well-deserved retirement for one of the good guys in the area, Coach K, Mike Kolakowski. In hour number one, Brent Beard stopped by. A lot of going on. Todd Munkin leaving Georgia. Mike Norvell getting a contract extension. So a lot going on in the world of college football. And you also heard from Brad Spielberger tonight, uh, Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com, kind of laying the blueprint for what the Jaguars need to do 
this offseason. Free agency in the NFL, 27 days away. To put that in a little bit of context, the Jaguar season ended 24 days ago. We were about halfway from when the loss to Kansas City happened to when the league calendar and free agency begins on Monday, March the 13th. We will be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we'll do it all over again at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending uh, part of your late night here with us on a Tuesday on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday, and we'll do it all over again on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.